fellow Muppet fans, and welcome to Moving Right Along, a Muppet movie podcast brought to you by ToughPigs.com. This is the podcast where we watch the Muppet Christmas Carol two minutes at a time and talk about it a lot. I'm your host, Ryan Rowe. I'm your other host, Anthony Strand. And we're very happy to have our guest from last week back with us this week. Guest, who are you? It's still me, Julia Gaskell. Still you, and we're still very happy. Thanks for joining us again. Happy to be here. And today we are talking about minutes five and six of The Muppet Christmas Carol, in which Gonzo insists he's Charles Dickens and starts to tell us the story, beginning with the introduction of Scrooge. So we pick up uh, from last week with Gonzo telling us the rest of his name, Earl's Dickens. So (laughs) if you add that to the chaw that he began last time, his name is Charles Dickens. Um, I assume that we're going to keep calling him Gonzo for the duration of this podcast, but it would be kind of funny if we just went along with his, uh, you know, his deal here and just only referred to him as Charles Dickens. I wonder, I wondered if y'all were just going to call him, yeah, refer to Charles Dickens throughout this whole season. Charles, yeah. yeah. I mean, I guess we could. We could. It might be fun. I don't know. Rizzo does call him Gonzo several times throughout the movie, right? Yeah, it does happen. There's like that one part where he, like, he's like, Gonzo, speak to me after, like, Gonzo's, like, they've fallen off of the building later. So there is, like, that, like, and obviously in this clip, like, Rizzo disputes him. He's like, wait, you're not Charles Dickens. So Rizzo does, like, call Gonzo out several times of being like, we didn't discuss this. What are you doing? But, you know, Gonzo really sticks to it throughout the entire film. Yeah, so right here, like you say, um, Rizzo challenges Gonzo on this. Um, He says, a blue furry Charles Dickens who hangs out with a rat. Well, I really like that first he introduces himself, like, as though he didn't know. Like, they had rehearsed, Gonzo's going to say, I'm Gonzo. Rizzo's going to say, I'm Rizzo. And then he realizes Gonzo did not say that, and then reacts after (laughs) he's after he says that. Yeah, that's another thing that sort of raises the question of what level of reality are we on? And what level of reality are the characters on? Right, yeah. Yeah, blue furry Charles Dickens. Uh, Gonzo's blue, right? I remember when um, we're doing a sequel, the, the musical number in Muppets Most Wanted happened. And in that, Gonzo refers to himself as a long-nosed purple thing. And at the time, we were like, wait a minute, why is he saying that he's purple? Gonzo is blue. So it's nice to hear Gonzo answer to being called blue in this case yeah yeah because he's definitely blue yeah right it's weird and, and they, they actually say it twice in muppets most wanted in the extended version um the dad from modern family what's his name ty burrell ty burrell, ty burrell. he says bring in the purple guy with the schnoz during yeah the interrogation oh yeah song. in the interrogation extended. song yeah mm-hmm. yeah weird and also yeah i wonder why None of the Muppet old timers were like, on the set were like, hey, wait a minute. Actually, he's blue. So yeah. Can we just, right. Yeah. Anyway, but here there's no question. He's a furry blue Charles Dickens who hangs out with rats. Uh, Gonzo answers absolutely and he spreads his arms out, which is one of these things. I'm not the kind of fan, I've said this before, who can immediately identify a specific puppeteer's performance just by the way the puppet moves. But this thing where he's holds out both his arms like that wide is this is something that I've learned to associate with Dave goals. Mm. Right. I years ago, I thought about making a gift set and I should still do it of Gonzo rugby tiger, Sir Didymus, 
and yep. traveling that all doing that because they oh, definitely wow. have yes, all those done. are the examples that i wrote down here you're right because yeah ryan you said that like that's the thing dave Golds does and i was like okay yeah and then you just listed off all the characters and i was like oh yeah he does do it for all of those characters right pretty yeah. Frequently. yeah 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 it's fun to be able to spot something like that mm -hmm. i also love gonzo's delight as he says absolutely yeah, he's very proud of himself. He's so Charles excited to be, yeah. a, to be a, a blue furry Charles Dickens who hangs out with their at. Right. Vizzo says, Charles Dickens was a 19th century novelist, a genius. And Gonzo says something like, oh, thank you. You're too kind. You're too kind, yeah. Um, yeah, So, which is interesting. Charles Dickens was a 19th century novelist. So again, I guess this is an indication that as far as Rizzo is concerned, they're in the 20th century. Like Gonzo couldn't possibly be a novelist from the 19th century. Yeah, Rizzo does have an air of like, we know who Charles Dickens is, he was a genius, he wrote all of this stuff, but also he's not questioning that he's in this setting selling apples for tuppence. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I guess we shouldn't think about it too hard. <laughs> We're probably not supposed to, but that's what this podcast is for, right? That is what this podcast oh, for sure. is for, that's what we do. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Gonzo says he knows the story of uh, the Christmas Carol like the back of his hand. Rizzo tells him to prove it, and Gonzo describes the back of his hand. He has a scar on his wrist from where he fell off his bicycle. Now, of all the dangerous physical stunts that we have seen Gonzo do, the thing that gave him a scar on his wrist was falling off a bicycle. Maybe it was a penny farthing. <laughs> and, it could you know, be. Maybe he was riding that bicycle on like a tightrope above some. Uh, flames or something you know oh, there's, that's true. there's yeah. a chance that it was like so much more but he for him he's just simplifying it because it's just any old old thing he was riding a bike that's just right yeah, this is what he does it, yeah. yeah okay yeah i like to think of it that way then um he also says that he has a mole on his thumb which means that he has thumbs and now gonzo has three fingers <laughs> on his hands one that is pulling uh -huh. straight up and one going out to either side so which of the two on the sides is his thumb? We cannot tell. They're identical. He has two thumbs on each hand. Are, are right? they all the same length? Oh, you're saying that the two on the end are the same length? Yeah. He has like the one in the center and then like two on the ends. Mm. So he like either he has no thumbs or he has four thumbs. And I, this I was going to say maybe like, they're both thumbs. <laughs> yeah. My whole life this has made me wonder which one is Gonzo's thumb. <laughs> I finally well, get to also... talk about it in public. Maybe it's covered by his fur, but we we see his hands, and we don't see any moles on his hands. I assumed right. it's under his fur, so he yeah. he knows it's there, even if we can't see it. <laughs> right, yeah, that's how I well he knows right. this story. Yes, yes, exactly. Uh, but no, no, Rizzo meant that he wants him to prove that he knows the story. So Gonzo starts telling the story, beginning with the Marleys were dead to begin with because that's how the story starts. But of course, that's not how the story of A Christmas Carol starts, because in the original book, there's only one Marley who is dead to begin with. Right. A singular Marley. Uh, but he goes on to explain that the Marleys had been partners with a shrewd moneylender named Ebenezer Scrooge, who's coming around that corner. Where? There. When? Now. That is so And there great. he comes. Yes. Th that pause before now no perfect it's so good yeah that's really good yeah and this is a really great entrance of scrooge who we will not see for this entire song until the the very end of the song he's just this sort of sinister mysterious figure that that we're going to hear the characters sing about but we won't 
be able to put a face to the the name and the reputation yet. And at first, the camera, when it cuts to that that alleyway as he comes around the corner, is at, at just this extreme angle. So it's like something's getting weird, something's getting tense and, and kind of uneasy. Um, I don't know quite enough about film, but this might be considered a Dutch angle. Any uh, film experts can, yeah. Uh, and here's our first song. It is Scrooge. And it's a really good song. It's a really good song. Um, before we get into the song, I do want to say that when we first see Scrooge, there's like a singular bass drum, you know, on the soundtrack. It reminds me so much of the first time we see Earl in the dinosaurs opening theme. Oh, yeah, you're (laughs) right. Earl is like walking into the brush and it's like, boom, boom, you know, it like, yeah, just ominous, percussive sounds. Yeah. And then like a, a bouncy song starts in both instances. So Dinosaurs right. was on at this time and was Brian Henson was the executive producer. So oh, yeah. Maybe they influenced, I don't, I don't huh. know. one influenced the other. Yeah, Maybe. that's what I'm, I mean. And, it's possible. I don't know. But. And Earl Sinclair is pretty cranky at the beginning of the series of Dinosaurs. That's true. That's so true. He's, he's sort of the, the dinosaur version of Scrooge, if you think about it. I'm thinking about they it. They never did a Christmas Carol parody on Dinosaurs. They just did uh, Refrigerator Day. Right. Yeah. Which has a... <laughs> Which has a Tiny Tim thing. Joke right. Yeah. Right. <laughs> there you go. Um, when we interviewed Paul Williams for Tough Pigs a while back, he said that this was the first song that he wrote for the movie. He talked about having read the book to prepare, and then he read the script of the movie, which I, I assume just had sort of notes on where the, the songs would go. So all he had to do was actually sit down and get started with the songs. He talked about how he didn't want to sit there and try to force the creativity to come out of him. So he put everything aside and started reading a murder mystery novel. And then he said about three pages in, he started to hear the song in his head with some of the, like with even some of the the lines and the rhymes. Oh, wow. He's like, okay, time to get started on the song. So yeah, that's a, it's always fascinating to hear about people's different creative processes like that. Um, but it, so the song is really good. I like the the music. I like the lyrics. I also really like the way they shoot this, where Scrooge is walking across the town to his office, and the song is just sort of picked up along the way by different characters that that take us on the entire journey from this apple stand to Scrooge's office. It really reminds me of the opening number. It's obviously slightly, slightly very different, but like the opening number of Beauty and the Beast where the, like Belle is singing that song, but at the same time, it's the entire town, like singing about her as she's like going to the the bookstore, then going to her dad's, you know, everyone has like comments to make about her. And then everyone has comments to make about Scrooge. But yeah, we, we keep that like shadowy air of mystery and we don't really get a good look at Michael Caine's face until that very last beat of the song. But you know, right. Oh, I just, everyone's just got something to say about Scrooge. Yeah, we learn a lot about him. But also even, even to him. the point that, that that song is called Simply Bell, and this song is called Simply Scrooge. That is yeah. true, yeah. You know, so an, another parallel. Yeah. So, and yeah it makes, I never yeah. thought about it, but you're totally right. Yeah, it makes sense that this would be the first one Paul Williams would write, right? Because, like, the other ones kind of, I feel like, get more into, like, the emotion and the feelings of what's going on, whereas this is just, like, 
cold cut like this is what we know about scrooge in the movie and also in the book like he is a really shrewd money greedy like person who's cold and doesn't want to like associate with anybody he just wants to go to work and make money and so that's like a really good jumping off point for somebody who's got to write the songs for this movie it's like okay before i get into like the the emotions of all the other songs let's just write about this guy who we we know a lot about from from the novel to begin with and then also the script as well yeah yeah and i'm I'm thinking there have been a few other musical adaptations of a christmas carol i'm not familiar enough with them. maybe anthony you are yeah <laughs> are there any others that do this kind of thing where there's a a song to introduce scrooge and how isn't, cruel isn't and scary there a musical, was kelsey Grammer that was like made for tv yeah that's 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 later i i don't know that one the the 1970 movie with albert finney does not have a song like this it starts with mm, okay. tiny with like tiny tim and his friends like on a sled they're like pushing Tiny Tim around on a sled. Um, <laughs> okay, but but and then Stingiest Man in Town, the the which is a TV musical from the fifties, but also a Rankin Bass animated special from the seventies with Walter Matthau as Scrooge. <laughs> okay, um, and he he sings in it multiple songs. Um, that one has like a Jiminy Cricket figure who like introduces us to Scrooge, and then Scrooge sings mm. about how much he hates everything for the opening. Line. Okay, but then. It- even then, yeah, it's Scrooge himself in that case, rather than yeah, it's like, us being it's, told about Scrooge before we see him. Yeah, it's him and his nephew Fred, I think, if I remember right. Like okay. singing a point-counterpoint song. So, yeah, this is a really interesting way to do it, then. Yeah. Uh, and it also, we get to see a lot of Muppets, which is cool. Starting with the puppet who was previously George the Janitor on yeah! the Muppet Show. Yeah, man! I don't know this is exactly supposed to be George. It is a Frank Oz voice, but it doesn't sound like george did on the muppet show but it's still well, nice to see him i was honestly wondering if frank had forgotten what george sounded like which would i would not be surprised i think you know like that's a character yeah. he pl- hadn't played since season one and he's busy like frank's already directing movies by this time and stuff like i don't think he's yeah. sitting around thinking about george the janitor in his <laughs> no where where is what i kind of think jerry nelson was sitting around thinking about droop in his free time you, you know like i think Maybe. i think jerry nelson kept kept a catalog of voices in his head in a way Frank yeah. did not. That's nice to think. <laughs> I like that. Just, yeah. just based on how many recurring characters he had who sounded consistent. You know? Yeah, yeah. Um, then there's this quintet of, of Muppets who sings the lines about, there goes Mr. Humbug, there goes Mr. Grimm. One of those is the puppet who was previously J.P. Gross mm-hmm. on The Muppet Show. Um, also a weird. member of Jerry and the Atrix. It's very strange like to see JP Gross in this, I think. Like even, even a little so? weirder than Sprocket for me. Just because he's such a like he's a villain in the Muppet show. He only exists yeah, to be he, a villain. And oh, right, he he's kind of a mean guy himself and now here he is complaining about Scrooge being about a mean Scrooge, guy. But also like if they're if if we take this as the Muppets putting on a production of a Christmas carol. It's weird. And I know JP Gross they used him on the Muppet show in just group numbers or whatever all the time. I know yeah. that. But it's always weird because I just want him to be Scooter's rich uncle who owns the theater. Right. Well, then on Muppets Tonight, he's just kind of sitting in the the control room occasionally with no real, like, they don't bother to explain who he is or why he's there. Right. So, yeah. Oh, in the the unwrapping, a new holiday classic feature on the DVDs, there's a brief behind-the-scenes clip of this shot with these five Muppets singing um, where you can see the puppeteers getting the choreography wrong. They have to, so they have to 
watch Scrooge pass by, then whip their heads back toward the camera and sing a few words of the verse and then start swaying back and forth and then whip back to point at Scrooge at the end of it. So this is all, like, I, I don't know how these guys do any of this. It just requires so much coordination and you're looking at a monitor and you're squished up against each other. So um, it's always just fun to see them at work like that. And yeah, I think that kind of brings us to the end of what we see in this part of the song. That's all I have, but any any like um, particular lines of the song that you like, or moments, or, or Muppets that we see pop up here? Not in, not in particularly. I mean, I you know I wrote some notes just about how like nice it is just to see like such a wide array of Muppets and how the costume department probably had fun making a lot of little top hats for all of them. <laughs> a lot <laughs> yeah, of top yeah. hats. Yeah. We always love to see Muppets in winter wear, and this movie is just like jam packed full of it. Love Muppets it's in winter wear. Yeah, and actually, Julia, you weren't you won't be here with us for the rest of the song. So, anything else that's coming up that that we won't get to? Oh, in the song, I mean, it's just it's just such a solid number. I also wrote in my notes just yeah. about like what a good like opening intro song it is. I also feel like for whatever reason, for anybody who's like who likes the Muppets but they're not like a huge Muppet fan, this is like the song that people know from this movie. It's like this and feels like Christmas, hmm. like between the two. You know, I feel like this one just like it really just gets in your head and it's really yeah. memorable. Yeah. And just coming so early on, this one kind of sucks. Yeah, I did write in my notes. I For some reason, when y'all told me I was going to be like in the first like the I guess the the two second, like the two to three and f what what minutes am I on? I'm on three to four and five. Three to six. To four and five I really six. didn't think we were going to get to the song and it really just like gets into it so quickly but also I, I guess that's probably the case with all the other Muppet movies as well the second they get done through the credits they're like and now we're just going to go into our opening number because that's what a lot of people are here to see it's, it's got a great opening number and it goes like this right yeah basically <laughs> yeah no that's I guess that's right I'm, I, and I guess in Muppets Take Manhattan the opening number starts like as the credits are rolling the opening mm -hmm. credits, so yeah, and right, they, yeah. they do like to get into it. Yeah, great Muppet caper. Okay. The second the credits roll, their hot air balloon crashes and they start singing. They start yeah. singing Muppet movie. I mean, once we get into the actual movie, yeah, this is a, a minute, but yeah. it does because yeah. of the the intro. But then after the credits, you know, yeah, they get into Rainbow Connection. <laughs> that old right. number. And, even, and of course, Treasure Island starts with its best song, in my opinion, Shiver yeah. Timbers. Yeah. And then, oh, yeah. And then Muppets from Space, a movie that is not a musical, starts with Rick House. Like it does, you know. Like, yes, lulling you into a false sense of this is going to be a much more fun movie than it actually is. But we'll, well get we'll, to that. We'll see. We'll see <laughs> yeah. if I agree. Um, <laughs> but no, I I love this song too. Mm -hmm. I don't, I'm yeah, excited to one. talk about it next time. I guess I don't need to. I don't need to. Cram yes, we will continue to talk about the rest of it with a different guest next week. Yeah, so this one, I guess, is a little bit on the short side, but any other right. thoughts about these two minutes? Well, can I, say, can I say some stuff that I learned about the book? Oh, yes, please. Oh, yeah. How it compares? Um, so, obviously, we, as you mentioned already, Ryan, both of Gonzo's narration lines are basically right out of the book. The actual line, so you'll, you will find it is going to be a theme that Charles Dickens is very wordy. And yeah. uh, this is a short book with not a lot of story you know it's only just like 100 pages long and it still is he he never uses five words when 15 will do <laughs> but so it's marley was dead to begin with 
There is no doubt whatever about that. The register of his burial was signed by the clergyman, the clerk, the undertaker, and the chief mourner. Scrooge signed it, and Scrooge's name was good upon change for anything he chose to put his hand to. Old Marley was as dead as a doornail. That's that's that line. And we didn't actually get to doornail okay. here, did we? Right? No, I didn't mention that. But yeah, so they Jerry Jewell here condenses that to the Marleys were dead to begin with, as dead as a doornail. Dead yeah. as a doornail. Right. Yeah. So so that's a lot of what Jerry Jewell is going to do in the like um, Condense. Condense. Also, I learned that Marley, Jacob Marley, is named for Dr. Miles Marley, a person with the same first name as my son. Uh, and an Irish doctor who Dickens knew and the, the annotated Christmas Carol says when the subject of Dickens interest in unusual names came up at a party, Dr. Marley mentioned that he thought his own surname quite remarkable. Dickens, <laughs> Dickens reportedly replied, your name shall be a household one before the year is out. Wow. The name Marley was remarkable. Yeah. Which seems obviously just normal now. It just seems like a yeah, name. Well, and obviously, uh, much more recently, somebody thought it was remarkable enough to give to a dog in a movie. That is true. That's probably actually <laughs> That's what true. I think of more now if I hear the name Marley. I'm like, oh. Sure. Dr. Miles Marley and me. Dr. Miles Marley and me. Yeah, where's that? And then, <laughs> and then the last, or actually two more things. Um, so the phrase, as dead as a doornail, is often credited, the book says, uh, often credited to William Langland, in his book, The Visions of the Vision of Piers Plowman, 1362. It probably predates that 1362 book, but that's like the earliest recorded reference of as dead as a doornail. Huh. Which is wild to me that, well, that yeah, such a thing even can be tracked. Oh, oh yeah, I love that. But yeah, it is kind of a weird thing to say even because like are are doornails well, dead? I guess that I mean, a doornail it, shows no signs of life. So, so, yeah. so I, I don't, I don't know if you don't, if you, if you think you're quoting this book or not, but um, oh. <laughs> right after "as dead as a doornail," let me find it. Right after "as dead as a doornail," Dickens says, "Old Marley was as dead as a doornail." Mind, I don't mean to say that I know of my own knowledge what there is particularly dead about a doornail. Ah. I might have been inclined myself to regard a coffin nail as the deadest piece of ironmongery in the trade. <laughs> but the wisdom of our ancestors is in the simile, and my unhallowed hands shall not disturb it, or the country's done for. You will therefore permit me to repeat emphatically that Marley was as dead as a doornail. Interesting. So, so Dickens makes the same observation you did, right? Like, okay, yeah. That so that reviewer that you quoted last week was absolutely right. This book is ludicrous. <laughs> it is. Oh yeah, it's it's the greatest. Like, I, it's truly <laughs> one of my favorite books in the world. Um, uh, like you can tell, I'm I'm truly just as excited to talk about uh, Christmas Carol by Charles Dickens as I am to talk about the Muppet Christmas Carol. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. But the last thing is, I think a real testament to Jerry Jewell, Scrooge, a shrewd moneylender named Ebenezer Scrooge. That's not in the book. I, no. I even I even double checked. I Google searched Scrooge quote shrewd moneylender, and only Muppet Christmas Carol related results come up. Huh. So it's not it's not even from an earlier adaptation, as far as I can tell. Um, and then obviously you will meet him as he come or, comes around. That corner is not in the book because <laughs> you can't you can't look at that corner while reading the book. Right. That'd be weird. It would if be it funny if, if Dickens was like, "You will meet him when you turn the page." <laughs> <Right>? Ding. Yeah. <laughs> when, when you hear this sound. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. So that's my that that's uh, 
there should be a name for this segment. I've just been calling it like book corner in my notes, but I don't know. So yeah, do you want to come up with a name for it right now? Yeah, we'll call it the old curiosity shop. Okay. That sounds like two P's and an E, right? You just had it so prepared. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's that's the name of a Charles Dickens book. Okay. Uh, I haven't heard of that one. Okay, cool. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, Well, if that's it, then we can wrap up for this week. Uh, Everyone, please make sure you check out toughpegs.com on the internet, Facebook, Twitter, everywhere. Our logo is by Morgan Davey. We have a Patreon. We would love it a lot if you would support us at patreon.com slash toughpigs. We also have a tea public store. You can buy uh, t-shirts and stickers and tote bags, I think, uh, including the ones that say uh, the great Gonzo as Charles Dickens and Rizzo the Rat as himself. Um, oh, and by the way, Anthony, I don't know if I told you, you, you did. specifically personally requested that we put both of those Rizzo and uh, Gonzo credits on the front and back of one t-shirt, and we have done that now. So you can go get that shirt on our tea Public I, store. And I, I already ordered it as soon as you sent me the link. <laughs> oh, good. That's true. Gonzo the Great as Charles Dickens on the front and Rizzo the Rat as himself on the back of the same t-shirt. So That's amazing. It's amazing what Can't they wait. can do with t-shirt technology these days um and yes please uh drop by our facebook page or twitter you can email us at moving right along at toughpicks.com tell us what you think of uh charles dickens's language or being dead as a doornail or whatever and you can find me on twitter at me ryan Rowe. i'm on letterboxd at movies are neat anthony is on letterboxd at zeppo marxist julia remind us where we can find you on the internet I am on Twitter and Instagram at Geek Girl Grown Up. Um, I write for Tough Pigs, and I've got some poetry in the world. That's about it. Everybody, yeah, everybody should go seek that out as soon as you're finished listening to this episode. Yes. And if you don't mind, listeners, please give us a positive review on Apple Podcasts or wherever, and tell your friends all about that, all about this show. Your friends, your family, who you watch this movie with every year. Tell them about this podcast. And join us again next week for another episode of Moving Right Along. Goodbye. It paints you with indifference like a lady paints with rouge. <laughs> <laughs>